is from Genesis 3. And I probably should give a touch of context. Um, rather than just start into this, so there was a creation. There was a fall. Um, Adam and Eve did what they weren't supposed to do. And having been deceived by the serpent, that's where this picks up. So this is God having figured out what's happening and delivering the curses. Starting in 314. The Lord your God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat all the, of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Good to see you all. If you look around, you'll see that Busby's looking pretty sexy at the moment with that, that head of his. Pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I said that when Busby shaved his head that I was going to do mine, but I've, I've begged for a little time because I do not want to go to Dubai into 115 degree heat with a white head and get burned like crazy. So when I come back, I'm doing it. All right? I'm going to shave my head off in... I not if I'll shave this off because no one's ever seen me without this. So who knows? It's good to see you all. Um, I think it's important to remind ourselves of why we're here. So I think sometimes we just meander into church and meander out, and uh, it's Sunday. But actually, we are a people that are being called to live as disciples to Jesus, and everything that it, that entails, um, to be students or apprentices or learners or followers, whatever word we want to use, of Jesus. Um, community is a beautiful thing, but community without Jesus is a club. No, we're not a club. We are the people of Jesus. And in this little expression of our little community, we want to do that with Jesus. And what Jesus has done is given us a living hope through the resurrection from the dead. It's the reason we believe we can pray for healing for Buzz. It's the reason I remember we prayed for healing for Hendrik all those years ago. Remember Hendrik? Hendrik took a big tumble down the stairs. Remember those days. That's the reason we, we have expectation of goodness is because of what Jesus has done through his death and his resurrection. And that is our living hope. If you don't have that hope, you're pretty much screwed, to be quite honest. We need that living hope. That living hope gives us the faith to live now. Because faith is the assurance of things hoped for. That hope of what Jesus has done and what he has promised, that there is a day coming when everything will be made right. 
because of that, we can have faith to live today and believe that God will do good things. Um, so, jumping into today, we're in 1 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to read the text, and then I'll give my disclaimer, if that's all right. And Brian is just grinning at me because he could have got this, but he didn't. I did. Yeah, yeah. He gets the one where Jesus preached to the spirits, and that comes a little later. Likewise. Likewise means in the light of everything that has gone before. And what's gone before is this Peter saying to these people, because of what Jesus has done, and it starts in chapter 1, speaking about this living hope in Christ. He says, you know, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. He defines who these people are, amazing. And then he says, but you are sojourners, aliens in a foreign land, and you are on journey here, and you have to be careful where you live. And because you live among foreigners and you live among people who don't serve Jesus, but we want you to have a good gospel message into that place, he speaks to a bunch of different groups of people and tells them how to live in that current context. So he speaks how the believer should relate to government or to the rulers and authorities of the land. And we, you can go listen to that talk. And then he speaks about slaves and masters. This is not a... Uh, uh, what's the word, uh, to say slavery is good. That's not what this is saying. It's just saying as a slave, if, if you're going to be a believer, this is how you should approach life. And then he actually speaks about Jesus, how Jesus was in submission to his father and did everything that he had to do. And then he says, likewise, he comes into this text. Wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some of, you, if some of them do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. Um, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And Thomas, we will talk about that today. And you are her children. If you do good and do not fear anything, that is frightening. Don't, don't you like that line? That we do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, again, in the light of this whole thing, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, most preachers I know when they get to this sort of text want to bunker down in a World War II bunker because someone's going to start lobbing grenades because we don't like this text in our culture. It's really rough. Um, a rough text to actually talk about. The same as Ephesians and you, in Ephesians uh, 5, and we get. In Colossians 3, we have these sorts of texts, and we don't live 2,000 years ago. We live today. So how do we address this? And I'm hoping that I can bring some sense to this text. And because I'm not going to try to cover everything, there will be gaps, but we, somehow we will get to somewhere. We just don't have time to cover the whole thing. But I want to deal with this context. And that's the important thing that we see, that I'm, when we talk about this, we are talking into this specific context that, that Peter is writing to these people. Don't try and separate out of that. So I want to say, how was life supposed to be? And where did it all go wrong? Is that fair enough? To give us a context 
to what we're doing. So we're going to jump back to Genesis. And I'm going to say this was the plan of God. I'm going to jump around. You can go read all the text and, and figure it out. But I'm just read a few verses. Hopefully it will capture this was the intention that God had when he created and made th- all things beautiful. So I'm going to read from verse 26 of chapter 1. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. Some, the, like the new NIV translation says, so God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And God blessed them. Who did he bless? Male and female. He blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life. I have given you every green plant for food. I've given them. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. That was the creation. It was very good. God created male and female together. He told them to go rule and have dominion over all the fish of the sea. Part of that was to multiply. Two men could not multiply. Two women could not multiply. Male and a female could multiply. Is that right? I'm not getting into what we're doing today. I'm just saying there's a different roles implicit here for the sake of what God wants to do. Jump to chapter 2 and look at verse 18. Uh, then the Lord God said, it is not good. So this is now the second rendering of this creation story. The one is this one side, now written from another way. Then God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. And that word helper that's used, there's a word that's often used about God. It's actually a word that's sometimes used about the Holy Spirit. So this is not like this little word down here, I made a little lady to help the man. That's not what this text is saying. In the slightest. Jump to verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This is at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. What is that saying? Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. This is a oneness. This is a unity. This is a togetherness. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become what? One flesh. They shall become what? One flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And then jump to chapter 3, verse 8. This begins horrible bit, but this little line is so wonderful. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. It's a beautiful verse. The intention was that God created 
something beautiful out of his generosity and out of his love. And he created male and female. He said, go rule the world. Go do this together. You've got a role. You've got a role. But do it together. I've made you one. As you come together, there's a oneness. It was, it was sublime beauty. There was no, no shame that had entered the cosmos yet. It was beautiful. He said, go rule. Go reign. Go do things. You know, and the, the garden always represents, is a temple motif. It always represents the place where humanity and God met, where heaven and earth meet. There's the garden. And what happened in that garden, besides the protection of beautiful things, it was the place where God would come and walk with humanity in the cool of the day and talk with them because he says, where are you? He's looking for, there's a sense of relationship. Is that all right? I think, and now again, we can unpack that for weeks, but I want you to get that, that was the plan for this beautiful synergy, this unity under this incredible, loving, benevolent God that these people would just rule on the earth and it would be a beautiful thing. All right, so what, the problem, what went wrong? We read that, Genesis chapter 3, snake comes in, attempts them, and um, because God has said you can eat of anything except that one tree can do anything except that one tree. And have you ever seen your kids? You can play with all the toys except that one, and that's the one they want to play with. You can do anything. Don't touch the stove. What do your kids want to do? Touch the stove. And so they, they ate of this tree. It's interesting, um, if I can find the text, uh, uh, in chapter, uh, let me see, hold on. Uh, all right, in chapter, in chapter 2, verse 15, this is be, th in this part of the story, woman has not been created yet. God has created man. He said, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So work is part of the human dignity and expression. And the Lord commanded the man, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Who was that command given to? Adam. Was it given to Eve? At least in this rendering? No. So how did she know about it? He must have told her. But actually the responsibility was upon him, because actually he was given the mandate. Just enjoy life, but if you do that... What you're trying to say is you want to become the discerning one and you want to be equal with God. That's ultimately what's happening. Right? They wanted to be like God or they wanted God to be created in their own image rather than let God be the one that's ruling in the most beautiful, loving way. They wanted to switch that around. So what was the result of all of that? Beauty created with this beautiful set of relationships, just wonderful they got tempted to the sense of, no, we can be our own God, or we want God in our own image, or we want to be like God, or whatever. And then there's a, a response by God, and we see that in chapter 3, verse 16. I'm going to just read the, the part to the woman, then the part to the man, if that's all right. Uh, in verse 16, God says to the woman, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Ladies, that's part of the curse. It's actually not part of the, the way God intended it. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. 
And one of the translations says, you will try to control your husband, but he will control you. What we see that, and we'll unpack this in a little while, is something that comes because of the fall, because of God saying, you wanted this, this is the result. This beautiful synergy, this beautiful relationship is now broken. And then to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed be the ground. So I won't read the whole bit, but basically this work, this joy and this pleasure of doing what God wanted on the earth becomes labor, becomes toil by the sweat of your brow. We're trying to make ends meet because we don't have enough money. That's all the result of what happens there. Um, And then jump to verse 22. And then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword and turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Okay, does that, does that give us a good setting? We're in a world now where things are not as they should be. Humanity is not walking in the cool of the day in fellowship with God. He's become a distant God to them. I mean, he's still around, but there's a gap. And then you read the Old Testament. Every now and then you see these moments where heaven and earth connect. You know, the burning bush, Jacob's ladder, um, the, the tabernacle, the the tent of meeting, the, the temple, all those, the places where he, suddenly heaven and earth meet. And our hope and the expectation because of what Jesus has done is that heaven and earth will connect again one day in the perfect harmony as it was started. If you read the last book of, in, in, at the end of Revelation, is, is humanity going up to heaven or is heaven coming down to earth? It's coming down. The dwelling of God will be with men. So it's this restoration. That's our hope. And therefore, we live in this present. So because of this, basically, the Lord announces a struggle. He says, a struggle between the man and the woman. And she will desire him or to control him and manipulate. And he will, he will start dominating. I'm not putting those in any specific order. I'm just saying there's a struggle that happens in a relationship. And what is the real issue? The real issue at hand here is that they are no longer in a loving, submissive relationship to God. Because when they were, everything went well. Because God, when God speaks about submission, He doesn't speak about this, Oh, I'm afraid, oh, obey me. That's not what submission means in the slightest, in the way that God deals with it. It's like saying, God, no, I'm, I'm blessing you, I'm caring for you, I am pouring out life upon you. So rise up into it. So, Let's go look at now this relationship where this is written. Peter's writing 2,000 years ago, just short of, into Asia Minor. It's under the Roman conquest. It's a Greek sort of mentality or philosophy that's at hand. And how were women treated in those days? Let me read you some things. In every sphere of ancient civilization, women had no rights at all. That wasn't the intention. That's because of sin and the fall, that's where it's got to, control and domination. And under Jewish law, a woman was a thing. She was owned by her husband in exactly the same way as he owned his sheep and his goats. 
On no account could she leave him, although he could dismiss her at any moment. For a wife to change her religion, and remember this context is written to a woman who's become a believer living with an unbelieving husband. For a wife to change her religion while her husband did not was unthinkable. All right. Think about the story of the woman caught in adultery. Do you remember that story? When Jesus just exercises his incredible mercy and grace upon this woman. What is one of the most astounding things about that story? It was always stuck out for me. There, where's the man? Where's the man? Adultery takes two. Where's the man? He's not in the picture. Why? Because he's a man. The accusation is upon the thing. The person of no consequence is the woman, was a thing. If you see that and then understand how Jesus relates to her, it's mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing to those Pharisees and Sadducees and people who are gathering around. Let's stone her. She's been called a lot. Let's stone the man too. It's an astounding story if you understand the, the context. In Greek civilization, the duty of the woman was to remain indoors and to be obedient to her husband. It was the sign of a good woman that she must see as little, hear as little, and ask as little as possible. She had no kind of independent existence and no kind of mind of her own, and her husband could divorce her almost at will so as long as he returned the dowry. What does that mean? It's because fathers just often treated their daughters as commodities to get a dowry. So the father was saying, oh, you can divorce her. I don't care if you divorce her, but give the dowry back. So it's just a money-making thing. It's no respect, no dignity upon women. Under Roman law, a woman had no rights. In law, she remained forever a child. Now, I want to stop and say a moment. When, when Linda and I got married in South Africa, if we had got married in community of property, she would not have been able to do anything on her own accord without me signing as well. That's how antiquated our laws were. She couldn't open a bank account. She couldn't buy a house. She couldn't buy a car. She couldn't. So we got married with, what do you, what's the other one? With a, with a prenuptial and all that. So we, we wrote all that. Why? Because, I mean, I don't want my wife to be a child. My wife's not a child. My wife's smarter than I am. Let the record show. I've made it. Eradicate that part from the tape. When she was under her father, she was under the father's power, which gave the father the right even of life and death over her. And when she married, she passed equally into the power of her husband. And I was reading this, I, I can't give it, but I just read examples, and they named the people what they did with their wives, because this wife spoke to another woman, her head was chopped off. This wife stepped out and forgot to put her veil on, and she was whipped. Okay, so any places in the world we see that today? Okay. She was entirely subject to her husband and completely at his mercy. This is the context that Peter is writing into. If you don't get that, you miss this. The whole attitude of ancient civilization was that no woman could dare to take any decision for herself. What then must have been the problems of the wife who became Christians while their husbands remained faithful to the ancestral gods? 
Can you think that through now? You know, if, if in our world, if a wife becomes a Christian, the husband doesn't, it kind of gets awkward a little bit. 2,000 years ago, we're talking a whole new thing. This is a big deal. It is almost impossible for us to realize what life must have been for the wife who was brave enough to become a follower of Jesus. What a contrast with Christianity, which commands husbands to love their wives unconditionally as their own bodies. They are one flesh. Now, when you read those sort of things and you read the context here, it kind of takes a different spin on life. So let's unpack that a little. What is Peter really saying here? Why is he writing this to these people? And, um, and please, ladies, especially the ladies, we live in the 21st century. We live in it where freedoms have come and all those things. We don't get blocked because of that, that you miss what actually has been said here. Is that okay? Um, I know these are tough. Um, we don't want to go back 2,000 years ago. Is that okay, guys? We don't want to go back, all right? We want to keep going forward into whatever God has. So think about this. Peter's writing, and he's writing to the church, this fledgling little church, maybe 60 years old, 50 years old, 40 years old. We don't know how, how long the church has been in existence. They're struggling. They're getting persecuted. There's all these things happening. As in today, many women are getting saved more than men. And there's his struggles. So he, he says, okay, if you want to be the church, let's look at the relationships that you will have to deal with as a believer. You'll have to deal with the state. We didn't have freedom of religion like we have now. All right? Jews kind of had their special privileges, but any of these cults, and, uh, and Christianity would have been seen as a Jewish cult. He said, no, let's, let's see how you can deal with the state. And then slaves and masters in the same, let's see how we can work that out. And I just want to keep putting up Jesus as the example of how it should be done. And then wives, well, let's see how you should relate to your husbands. And husbands, let's see how you should relate to your wives. And then actually it goes on later and says, actually, how, this is how you should relate to everyone in the church. So he's kind of just covering the gamut of relationships that Christians would come into contact with or be involved with. So this one is on the wives. And so he, he says, likewise, what are you saying? In the same way that this happened in the same way that that happened in the same way that this happened. Now you look at this. How do you live as a wife in a culture that's against you, where you are seen as not even a second rate, you are seen just above the goats. How do you live with an integrity as a follower of Jesus in a marriage that feels like it's a controlling freak nutshell? How do you do that for the sake of the gospel? Because we can become so rebellious that actually you lose the place for the gospel to change your husband. And you can think, oh, well, best she get rebellious. Well, if she got rebellious, her head would be cut off. What use is that to the gospel? So if she was a good wife and she actually maybe changed a little bit, maybe that would just get the attention of her husband in a way like never before and something could happen. That's what Peter's writing here. We'll get to the husbands in a moment. Let me say this first, though, about that. Whenever you read these texts, if, you, if you're reading these 2,000 years ago, this bit would not have been too shocking to women or to men. The command to men to treat their wives well, that's a whole 
at the ball game. Peter, why are you out of your friggin' mind? You just keep that in the back of your head as well. All right? So he's saying, as we, in the submission, women learn to live in a submissive relationship with your husbands. The interesting thing is, Peter's not saying here that all women should be submitted to all men. He's saying, wife, be submitted to who? Your own husband. This is not a, a manifesto that women are now subject to all men. That's not what this is saying. Is that okay? Please hear that. If you use it for that, you've missed the point. And in fact, this text is not primarily dealing with the bigger picture of marriage anyway. This is dealing with a very specific slice of marriage in that specific context and culture. Okay. Um, it's how to conduct yourself in a very, very, very damaged, broken, controlling world. How does a wife live Jesus' life in that sort of culture? Um, it's actually saying, I want to take the freedom that Jesus has given me through his death and resurrection, and I'm going to live subject to him, and I'm going to learn to live in a bad situation because of that. That's an incredible, ooh, I don't know how we, I don't know how I would do it. I don't know about you, sometimes I've really said, thank you, God, that I'm a man. I don't know if you've ever felt that. I'm just honest when I see the way that women have been treated around the world. I had no choice in that, but whatever. This word, submission, is the word hypotasso, hypotasso. And it's not a control word. It's not you will be submitted to me. That's not what that word means. This word means a voluntary selflessness. It's what you do toward another. I submit to you, not you control me and force me to submit. That's not submission. So in the wrestling and that, when they're fighting, submit. That's not real submission. Submission is when you voluntarily choose to say, I come under your authority or whatever. It's really important to see that because we've turned it into our cultures and or ancient cultures or South African cultures or African cultures or Muslim cultures or parts of America cultures. Women submit. You know, that's not what this is saying at all. Um, and the word does in, not in any way imply inferiority. It's actually a, a military word when you submit to someone who's in a higher rank than you. And I know, I've been in the military. I know some of those that were higher ranks than me were not nice people. I was a better person than they were, but I was glad to submit because that's the way it was. All right, so this is not a sign of inferiority. It's none of that. It's saying for the sake of the gospel in that context, I'm going to submit myself to my husband for the sake that I want to win him over to the life of Jesus. And I'll tell you a story in a moment if I remember. If I get to say, remember story, okay? Um, the hard thing is that submission does not come easily. You know, why? Anyone guess why? Because of the fall. Before the fall, it was wonderful because it wasn't, a, it wasn't power. It wasn't hierarchy. It was roles. It was just like life. we submitted to God. It's just like, but the fall created this incredible discord. You know, discord. Um, and so, all right. Let me breathe. 
It's important to see also that in the context of what the biblical writers say is that it wasn't just that women were meant to submit. Actually, if you could jump to Ephesians 5, and I won't go there because that's a better teaching on some of this. It actually begins, submit yourselves one to the other. The, the, The life of being a Christ follower is a life of mutual submission. All of us under the lordship of Jesus, who's great and loves us and cares for us, has got the best for us, and we mutually submit to one another in different places. So I lead this community. Brian and I, right? And there's a place of there's submission to the leaders. But when I get outside the doors and we are talking about uh, writing music, well, I'm not the person you want to submit to. We want to submit to Buzz. And we want to submit to Greg. Because they know a little more about that than I do. If I want to, you know, when it comes to the finance, banking, let me go talk to Aaron. Is that submission? I'm putting myself on and saying, speak to me, help me, because actually I'm not good at this. Imagine me trying to make a film. I've got filmmakers, I'm going to submit myself. Does that make sense? That's what submit, it's just like, no, I'm going to trust you with this. You're not in, it's not like you're in control. Oh, no, it's just I'm choosing to offer myself to help me. Let me become the person that I should become. Would you help me do that? That's what that is happening here. Um, and so when a husband thinks they can just go through life willy-nilly, never being submissive, just doing their own thing, controlling, they've missed the whole point of the gospel. Do you get that? You missed the whole point at all. Um, submission and accountability is really important. Offer it up quickly. No one can demand it of you. Offer it up as quick as you can. Why? It will help you. You know that in my home, and I honestly, you, I, w- I would love you to check that out with Linda. Sometimes Linda says I'm very bossy and controlling because I'm not yet fully redeemed in my, you know, my fullness. That day is coming. But there are areas in, in our mat where I am totally submitted to Linda because she's got this better than me. There's many areas where she is just like, woo, and I'm, ah. And then some other areas it changes. Is that right? And so we want to work through that. Um, you know, a very wise man, very, very wise man, once said to Jesus, when he said, I need something done, and what is his response? I, too, am a man under authority. I have authority. I say to go, go, they do it. But I am a man under authority. Remember that story of the, the, the centurion? What did Jesus equate that to? Great faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Anything not of faith is sin. That's what the scriptures say. And Jesus said, that man understanding submission and authority understood faith. Because when you're under authority, you can say and do things because you have that power flowing through you. It's really important. The purpose of authority, as it applies to submission, is to protect and bless those under your authority. Not to benefit the one in authority. 
One of, my, one of my things that I've really struggled with in the church, because people don't like church leaders anymore, because so many church leaders have used the church for their own benefit. That's not the way it's meant to be. As a church leader, I'm meant to be blessing you and praying for you and all that. Does that make sense? But we, we get it mixed up. Just finishing that little section. Husbands, please never, ever, ever, ever tell your wives to submit to you. Wives, if your husband does that, give him a crack. All right? That's not a man's, the man's responsibility is love your wife, care for her, give her, serve her like Jesus served the church. It's a wife's responsibility. Don't, don't quote her verse at her. Please don't do that. Oh, my word, you're in trouble. The whole idea here is a wife living in such a way in that context that she could win her husband over for the sake of the gospel. So can I tell you the story? No, let me say this and then I'll tell you the story. Submission involves at least four things, I think, for both men and women. Number one, it begins with an, an attitude of entrusting oneself to Jesus. To try and submit in a godly way without first submitting and entrusting yourself to Jesus is going to go weird. All right? Number two, submission requires respectful behavior. So if I say to Thomas, I want, I want to be submitted to you and I want you to teach me film, okay? I need to be respectful of that and treat him well in that. Is that fair enough? I'm not going to say, what do you know? I want to submit, submit, I want you to teach me, but what do you know? Ah, that doesn't make any sense at all. It means we have respectful behavior. We say we a learning attitude. Submission involves the development of godly character because we're representing Jesus. And submission includes doing what is right. I'm submitted to you, but then I'm in absolute rebellion all the time. Okay, this is both ways. It's not just not any form where this works. Anyone heard, heard of Marcel Marceau? Who's Marcel Marceau? Yeah. Yeah. French mime artist. Okay, you know what a mime is? Can anyone do mime? I'm terrible. It just looks like I put my hands up. But this is what he was asked what the difference was between regular acting and pantomime and mime. And his response was interesting. He said, in the case of a bad actor, the words are there even if the actor is no good. But when a mime is not good, there is nothing left. A mime must be very clear and very strong. All right. So what Peter's writing to the woman in this text right now is he's saying, I need you to be a mime. Because you might not have the ability or the permission in that culture to speak the words. Therefore, live the life that speaks about what you have. All right? Sometimes that's the only way we witness by our lifestyles. That might lead to words. Sometimes our words get in the way because we want to share Jesus, but they know us. And they say, oh, no. Change your ways. Husband, if you think that you would, it's a good thing for your wife to be submitted to you in a wonderful way as it's 
change your ways. Jesus never asks us to submit to him before he first serves and dies for us. Not once. Sometimes the silence is deafening. So, are we okay for a few more minutes? So in, in South Africa, there was a, a man who was the captain of the national cricket side. I know him. I won't give you his name. Just Well, Peter Pollock. You can follow. I think he's still alive. He might have just died. Anyway, he was a, a famous cricketer. Captain of South Africa, great. He's in the Hall of Fame, the International Hall of Fame, whatever. And he was married to his wife, Inez. And Inez became, and he was, I mean, he was one of those who went to the club after work every day, the country club, and had his beers, and he did his little bit of this and a little bit of that, and a little finicky, a little, you know what I'm talking about. And he always came home late, and his wife would always moan at him. Inez would always be, where, what are you doing, where, that, and they had four small kids. Their one son actually became the captain of the South African side as well, whatever. But Inez became a believer in a church that we had connection with. I knew the pastor really well. She became a Christian. And... Through a process, this impacted her, and she said, you know, I'm tired of nagging my husband, but I want to win him, so I'm going to change my ways. Now, I'm not saying all women have to do this, please. I'm just telling you a story. So what she would do is that when, she, when the kids got home, she would make sure the kids were bathed and dressed for bed, and they'd have dinner, and he would always rely, but she always made sure his dinner was in the oven warm, and he came home, and everything was in place, and he came home, and she never moaned. It's just so good to see you. And some of the, some of the kids are awake. They want to say good night. And then that was it. And the next night, he was at the club. But over a period of time, what began to happen? Now, and now Linda's dad was involved in all of this. So Linda's dad was one, the most amazing evangelist one-on-one. It's just incredible. So what slowly began to happen is that Peter... Instead of coming home at 10.30 from the club, then he came home at 10. Then suddenly he came home at 9.30. And suddenly he came home at 9. Why? Because suddenly coming home was delightful. She made an incredible thing that he wanted to come into. You hear what I'm saying? She didn't say anything. She never shared the gospel. Nothing. Peter Pollock was led to the Lord by my father-in-law became one of the most powerful evangelists in our country because his wife said, I'm going to do something different. Now, please, I'm not saying all women, you've got to be quiet. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that was the story. That's in, that was in the 70s, maybe late 70s. He became a powerful evangelist. He stood on stages and spoke to the top sports people and business people. It, it, just ridiculous. Because she became a great mime. Have you got the picture we're trying to say here? Please hear, this is the context. If you weren't a good mime, you had no witness. You try to speak off with your head or out with your tongue or something. So quickly a word to the husbands. Because it says to the husbands in verse 7, likewise husbands means in the same way. All these things are happening. You have to live a certain way that speaks about the gospel. And this is radical for the husbands because this is not how husbands should do it. Likewise, connects. And I'll just summarize that in my little ways. Wives are not property. 
They are to be honored and respected because they are one with you. Wives are not property. Number two, what does the word weaker mean? Have you ever thought about that? We talk about the wives as the weaker sex. What does that mean? Is it they physically weaker? Could, I suppose. Is it mentally weaker? Hell no. <laughs> My wife is much stronger than me in many areas. Taking pain, she's way ahead of me. I don't know, Nancy, if there's a gene that makes women stronger in these areas. So what, what does it mean weaker here? I don't know. Some people say it's, it's the, you have to be considered in that time of the month. Remember 2,000 years ago, we didn't have what we have today in terms of feminine hygiene. Da, da, da. It could mean that. It could mean physical. I like to think about 1 Corinthians chapter 12. When Paul's writing to the church and he says, this one can't say to, you know, the knee can't say to the elbow, I have no need of you. And some parts that we, we treat with more honor because they're lesser, and the ones that are better we treat with less. I, I get that sort of image. We, we have respect and honor. We dig, bring dignity and we lift up because our whole body is not all the same. And some parts of my body are weaker. Some parts of my body are more shameful. Quote, some parts we hide and, and other parts we expose whatever. It's that picture of, no, 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 don't be respectful of the body. Why? Because this wife is you. You are one. It's like Jesus is the head and we are the body. We are the body of Christ. We are one. It's all this imagery. It's important for us to see that. It also says wives are heirs together with us in the grace of God. They don't get the afterthought. They don't get the crumbs off the table. They are co-heirs with us. Husbands, wake up. I'm not, I'm not talking to you, husbands. I'm just repeating Peter to those husbands. Because we're all awake. Has it got it? You know? No. And please, don't have your wife call you Lord. All right? Thousands of years ago, wives called their husbands Lord. Just watch some of the TV shows even. Watch Game of Thrones. Yes, my Lord. Wives to husbands. Yes, my Lord. I am biblical. Wife, you shall call me Lord. No. Absolutely not. It's so silly. What's he saying about Sarah there? He's trying to explain an example of an ancient, ancient time when things were different, how this woman of faith was trusting God and how she, that faith has flowed down throughout the people of God. And he says, husbands, Love your wives with understanding. What does that mean? Have you ever thought about it? It means this. Women are not men, and men are not women. Go figure it out. Because when I got married, I taught, I taught, what's the word? I? What's the word? I uh, treated, I taught. I treated Linda often like a man, like a buddy. Does it make sense? 
And I'm, she was a friend, but she's not a man. I can't treat her like a man. She is a woman, and she thinks differently. She processes differently. Linda, in the way of processing, and which is, as I've dealt over 30, is like many, many women, makes stew. She takes some meat here, some vegetables here, a sauce here. This, this one came from 1920. This one came from yesterday. This one was a thought from there. Puts it together, mix it, and you get a beautiful stew. I just grill burgers one at a time. Does it make sense? We are different. It's got nothing to do with equality. It's just we're different. So husbands, sometimes your wives are complicated. Why? Because you just got a one-track mind and they don't. Love them with understanding. Get to know them. I'm going longer than I expected, but I think this is important. Listen, do all those things. Okay, that's a whole nother talk. So I think I'm leaving a lot of unanswered questions. Which you can ask. I might have some answers, I might not. But we're going to figure this out. Why? Because we live in the 21st century. We don't live 2,000 years ago. We live today. We're not going backwards. We are just not. We want our wives and the ladies that we know. And I found, you know, on Thursday I had to go do this training. I don't know, like it has to do with sexual harassment and the workplace. And I did that training on that I realized half my ministry could be destroyed because of that training. Because I hug everybody and they say, hug nobody. So I'm, I don't know what to do. So if I come to you, is it okay to hug or should we shake hands? I don't know, it's just going to be weird. But um, what is the point? I, the point I was trying to make there was, I don't know. Oh, no, we, we are not going back. Oh, because someone called someone a lady and that was very offensive. We are my culture, that's an honor. So now I've got to figure that one out. We want to move forward. We're not asking our women to somehow regress to the 1800s. Is that okay? And husbands, you get to the 21st century as well. Don't lose your godliness. We don't lose God's orders. We don't lose roles. We don't lose respect. We don't lose that. But men, we live in this world, so we've got to... Enough said? Father... Maybe I can come out of the bunker now. Thank you that you love us so deeply, that you love us as men and as women, and that when you actually we read into the context of the way these things, you were, you were for women in a way that no one ever else was before. Now help us to rise into that. Help us to be a church of people that respect one another, that learn to submit to one another, that learn that our lives are like mime to the world. May our hope always be in the eternal Jesus, resting in the fullness of his resurrection and the promise of the day that is to come. We thank you, Lord.